and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital tools. And this week we're going to go all analog. With me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. How are you doing today, Stu? I'm very well, Justin. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about the less adjacent part of our stationary. So I'm kind of excited about this week. But first, I want to have a little bit of follow-up. And this is a interesting and potentially, I'm not sure what your thoughts on this one are, but I have a feeling you're probably somewhat similar to me on this one. We've talked about Basecamp. We've used, we've both used Basecamp, uh, Hey, tools by the guys at 37 Signals. Uh, they seem to have done a very, very good job of alienating a bunch of Twitter this week, particularly the area of Twitter that I follow. Have you been following this and how do you feel about what's going on? Do we want to talk a little bit more about what they did? Sure. I mean, I'll try and give you um, a distant view, um, both in terms of my age and, and my geography. So 37 Signals renamed as Basecamp and Basecamp is their key uh, product. It's their, their keystone product, if you like. And uh, it's a collaboration tool. So um, we use it, or we've recently been trialing it at Nero's Notes um, as a way, it's a place to centralize documentation, tasks, communication, uh, and it helps deal with that sort of massive overload that you can sometimes have with too many tools. So we've been playing with it, considering whether we, we might want to use it. Mm -hmm. um, Basecamp itself has its own Basecamp. So it runs uh, on Basecamp because it's a completely remote company. You know, people are, are spread all over the place. I, I may be wrong, but I think there are 68 of them in total uh, all over the globe. And so everything happens in Basecamp. That's, uh, that's where they talk about the projects they're doing. It's where the company announcements happen. Uh, it's where the water cooler is, which will become relevant in a moment. And out of nowhere, seemingly, what you and I, I suspect, would probably call an update to the handbook was published as a blog post. Mm -hmm. So there were some, some changes in the way that the management wanted the team to use Basecamp. And without putting too fine a point on it, they wanted no political discussion. Political and societal, which... Correct. Which, which is more the issue than the no political one to me. Yeah, and they they sort of um, the original memo was amended, I think, three times in the course of the the Twitter storm that ensued, which you can see as them being terribly, terribly um, sneaky, or you could see them as just trying to clarify their position. Um, I think it depends which side of the debate you fall. It produced a storm on, shall we say, the more liberal side of the equation, insofar as there was a feeling that. By limiting societal and political discussion, uh, you are de facto supporting the status quo and you are therefore contributing to the marginalization of groups that are considered marginalized. I think I said that without stepping in on any particular landmines, but I may have been wrong. And then there's, there's another view, the one espoused by the two founders, Jason Fried and David Hanemeyer Hansen, which is that discussion of societal or political nature is is fine but it's not really part of work it 
can be adversarial, um, particularly, they say, in the sort of polarised environment in which we now live, and they felt it was counterproductive to the main task of Basecamp, which is to produce collaboration software and sell it for money. Um, so if you take a sort of strictly entrepreneurial view, they were essentially in the manner of a Victorian uh, factory owner saying, you're here to work, work. When you finished work, do what you want. Uh, but while you're here, work. That's what I pay you for. Which uh, is, a, is a view that, um, to everybody's great horror, I'm, I can completely identify with. I understand where they're coming from. However, mm-hmm. the however is the important part, isn't it? Yeah, I think there is a there is a way and a means of communicating that, and there is a a level of reasonableness. So, I think I don't know. I, I think I've summarised where it's coming from. So, the Twitter, all of it, it would appear, is saying this is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. You uh, you can't ban the talk of politics or society. You're marginalising everybody. You're horrible, horrible people. Some employees of Basecamp have have put their head above the parapet and written their own little threads, Twitter threads, uh, sort of explaining, giving some background, uh, explaining how they feel. And almost inevitably, that's brought up, I think, uh, several more issues or given more colour and depth to the issues. Colour being perhaps a poor choice of words. (laughs) But that has added fuel to the fire, I think. So what was your sort of initial take on it, Justin? I see what they were trying to do in the most ham-fisted and terrible way that you could possibly do something like this. They have tolerated some things. One of the things that came up is uh, there's a lot of dirt from inside the company that's come out uh, a little more public than really I think it should have been. And, you know, if you're active on Twitter and you're active, you know, you build a an email program just so you can blog before you actually get to some of the other things that people need in an email program. You're kind of asking for it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they came up and they not only said no more talk on the internal servers, they disbanded some committees, including a, uh, diversity equity and inclusion committee that had recently started and was, uh, 20 people out of the 58 that were in the uh, company were part of and wanted to really advance. And I, I think that's where the problem comes for me is that they are shutting down They're 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 two, let's call them white guys of a certain age, probably not too dissimilar than us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can understand that from what I've been reading, things got pretty heated and that was making people feel uncomfortable. And so I can understand that they were trying to find a way to do that. I think what they've done is completely the wrong way. It's myopic. It's, um, you know, it it is coming from a position of privilege. And uh, I certainly wouldn't like anybody I was involved in to come up with such a draconian um, system. You know, it's, uh, it's, it just underlies that there are so many more problems at base camp than, than I, I kind of am aware of. Yeah. One of the, one of the bigger things is, um, they had a running list of, um, their employees were making fun of their users' names. Now, first off, uh, who in this day and age actually needs access to usernames and uh, what are they doing looking at them? Uh, and then publicizing those on their internal base camp. They're just, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of problems there and it, uh, just has a, very, very 
bad smell to it. Look, my, my starting position from this is that this is a private company and the owners and directors of that company can run it as they see fit. That's my starting point. However, I think the context is that they have been very public, these two guys, about they don't want to build Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, in one of their books, they, they talk about stepping back from growth and trying to limit growth because they wanted to stay small and agile and all of those things that are associated with small companies. So they, they abhor complication. They really don't like complication anywhere. And uh, a D, uh, DEI committee uh, and all of the things that are associated with that is complication. Now, one could make the very strong argument that it's a very good complication and it's a complication that's forwarding uh, the way the world works and therefore should be encouraged. Mm-hmm. However, it is a complication. And if you abhor complication, you're going to find that troublesome. Um, but regardless of the of the reason the issues have been raised, what it's done for me as a small business owner has given me an enormous amount of concern about the reliability of Basecamp as a partner. Exactly. Because I don't think that Basecamp is just Jason Frieden and Hanemar Hansen. I think they're, they're both uh, talented people. They are both opinionated. I disagree with much of what they say. However, I respect their right to say it and, you know, for me to make my choice. But, my interaction and my understanding of Basecamp as a company is that they're very supportive of their customers. They're very responsive to their customers. Uh, and I quite enjoy that sort of opinionated, shoot-from-the-hip, straightforward approach. What I don't want is for a tool to become central in how I run my business or my email to be locked into a company that is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Because, again, regardless of the world-changing politics that are going on in that company or not, I don't want my email to go down. Call me selfish, but my responsibility is to my business. And so that has given me pause for thought. So I was probably a couple of days away from pressing the button on, on Basecamp, and uh, I'm, I'm not now. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very <laughs> concerned about it. Uh, and in other news, uh, my personal email was all in hay. I was moments away from pressing the button on getting my own domain fed into that. So I would have my uh, Stuart Lennon at hay address and my Stuart at Stuart Lennon address all in hay. Mm -hmm. There's a sort of offer on where you could combine those two things together. I was about to press the button on that. I now do not use hay for email. Mm -hmm. It's going somewhere else. Now, I haven't burnt any bridges, but that's indicative of of the level of concern that I feel. Again, not about the specific decision that was made, but about the the fallout of that decision. What it what it yeah, what it says to me about Basecamp and, and where they are as an organization. Yeah, like you, I have rethought my relationship with them uh, I, for various reasons. But uh, you know, I I can't help think that when, when you live in a glass house and you're throwing stones at Apple, remember, uh, WWC last year, uh, Hannah Meyer Henson complaining about, uh, no app within in-app purchases and all, all of that stuff. 
those, uh, you know, they, they came out and they were very quick to criticize everybody else. And yet, particularly, you know, the, the first, e the first post was bad enough. Uh, then they've had some subsequent ones where they've sort of doubled down on it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just look at that and go, it is not a great comp company and, uh, you know, you know, may maybe it will come back and be a great company, but I think it's got some underlying problems. If what's leaking out is there, I don't know what else is there. Like you, you rely on certain things you want them, you need them to be above reproach. And you know, that does become some questions for me. I wasn't using, Hey, I've kind of got a task manager thing to decide in the next month, what I want to do. Do I want to renew for another year at a hundred bucks or do I want to cancel it? And, uh, I think I know what my answer to that one is. Unfortunately, uh, it's somewhat of a quick and spectacular, uh, demise of what was a, at least outwardly appeared to be a good company with a lot of, you know, if you're writing management books, obviously one thinks you are doing things well. And, uh, there's, mm. you know, something, something underneath there that, uh, may not be in line with, with my own, uh, sensibilities. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a danger that we could, we could talk about this for hours because we're both very interested in, in all aspects of this, but, um, um, I feel a degree of sympathy for their, the position that they've adopted that, um, societal politics and situation and opinion has become more and more ingrained within organizations. And there is, um, from right-wing organizations being very scathing of anybody of left-wing views and left-wing organizations being very scathing of anybody with right-wing views, there's become that sort of polarization of political discourse has become embedded in companies. And I'm not sure that's the place for it to be. I, I would have concerns that it should be possible for people of the left and the right to uh, vehemently discuss, argue, debate political and societal issues, but also work harmoniously at the same place. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of sympathy for that view of, look, hang on, we, we can't have it that the, the company thinks this and every, therefore everybody within the company must think the same or you're not one of the gang, which is the underlying feeling that I think was coming from the, from the founders. Now, I'm equally cognizant of the fact that while everybody was agreeing with them, they thought it was fine. <laughs> but now that people appear to be not agreeing with them, they find it uncomfortable. Yeah, as you say, that's, that's uh, a rod you've made for your own back. Um, but I, I, I do have uh, sympathy with the idea that it's, we should, if, if people in my organization want to talk about my organization, I make it sound like I'm Google, I'm not. But in companies that I have run in the past and that I continue to run now, I have no problem with people holding political views and espousing those political views. Um, but just as I don't particularly want them to be talking about the football at work, I don't particularly want them to be talking about the politics at work. And in the UK, for example, it would nobody would be surprised to be in a company that we don't talk about football here, by which I mean soccer, by the US standard. Because um, I, I know in, in the US, there's a lot of sort of, um, you know, fervent support of, of teams. Uh, in the UK, for decades, people were 
smashing each other with bottles over their <laughs> affinity with teams. I mean, it's serious stuff. I'm Scottish and I'm Catholic, so that makes me a Celtic fan. If you're Scottish and you're Protestant, then you're a Rangers fan. And that's not a choice. That's a birthright. And it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's led to huge amounts of horrible things. But if you work in a Scottish company, you do not discuss the football. <laughs> End. <laughs> that's the way it is. Um, and I think that's probably not a bad rule. Yeah, I, I kind of agree about the the politics side of it. You know, I, I understand that that's very fractious i think though the societal part is where i have the issue with it but I, I think we've kind of said our piece we're both uncomfortable with it we could definitely go on about this for hours uh, we may do offline because it's been an interesting thing watching twitter and kind of uh, reflecting about it all week uh bottom line we have in the past espoused the use of base camp uh, you know one of the things that i think both of us are quick to do is look at things with new information and decide whether it is the right thing for us to do at this point i think we're both kind of uncomfortable with that and we're we're sort of backing away from these tools yeah. doesn't mean the tools themselves are bad they're certainly opinionated but uh, again they have their their use uh just that uh, i don't want to really be trusting and associated with that company and supporting that company at this point until I see how they come through it. I'm hoping they can make amends and bring the staff back to the table. But, uh, this, I, I, th I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks if you're, if you're watching this one. Anyway, that's enough of that. Let's, let that that's politics, uh, segment for this week. I think we can move off that now. I, if you, if you have some thoughts, uh, we're certainly interested, reach out, let us know. Cause it is, uh, something that, you know, we're, we're, we're putting, we're voting with our money more than anything else. We're not for sure, but Stu, let's talk about analog. Let's do it. First of all, though, tool of the week, pick one tool that impacted your productivity this week. Uh, mine was actually an upgrade. I finally bought uh, a new Wi-Fi router. I have uh, so lovingly held on to my Apple airport extreme. Uh, I love having everything within Apple because I don't have to worry about who I'm sharing that data with. I know that Apple, you know, does, does Apple, it protects data. They don't make any money from advertising. And honestly, if they wanted to, they know more about me probably than anybody else. Uh, but, uh, my airport extreme had been, I, I was having some weird Wi-Fi problems. It would suddenly disappear for a minute or two. I think it was something that uh, Mr. Syracuse said on ATP a few weeks ago that made me think about this, that he thought his Wi-Fi router was rebooting because I think he's on the same airport that I am. And I looked at it and went, yeah, that's probably what's happening to mine because I've got rock solid internet. Uh, and so I finally broke down and went to the Eros. Uh, now, why did I go to the Eros? There's pros and cons, as you may know, Stu. Amazon bought Eros. So that always makes you a little, you know, worried about it, but, uh, I'm really happy. I did. I bought the V six, which is their new one. I've got three base stations. They're pretty, they're white with a little glowy light and Chrome Eero written on them. They're a little curvy for Apple, but they would look like something that Apple would make. They're not ugly. Like, uh, a lot of the other Wi-Fi things, these black boxes with all kinds of aerials sticking out of them. 
I, I just, I can't do anything that's not pretty. Uh, and, uh, I have a teenager in the house. I think she was the one that killed my airport because of all the streaming that she's been doing while she's been home from school the last year. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Wow. What a difference in terms of a solid, solid, uh, Wi-Fi all the way throughout the house. Even those spots that don't really get good Wi-Fi before. How about you, Stu? What do you, what do you use for Wi-Fi? Are you into pretty things or do you have one of those, uh, uh, industrial supplied routers that's black and ugly. Well, in the um, in the super secret text channel, uh, which I've stolen from another podcast, I've sent you a picture which should make you feel all nostalgic. Um, I'm uh, I'm on a blend, so um, I have the the router or router as we would call it <laughs> supplied from the telecoms company here. Uh, which was, I think, sort of put together in 1984, um, has lots of little green lights, but isn't very good at anything. And so attached to that, I've got a big, uh, looks like a cross between a space station and a spider, sort of big black mm -hmm. uh, router. I'm, I'm going to say Netgear, but it's not a Netgear. It's something similar. Um, and I've got another one of those, which I then have in a different room, to try and create a sort of homemade net. Um, and then the picture I just sent you is of my AirPod Extreme, um, which is in my <laughs> office down in the basement, uh, where quite literally I have a cable um, that goes out of the back of that, uh, through a hole in the wall, along the bottom of my balcony, through the front of the house, directly into the back of the router, so that I can uh, sort of have a semi-reliable connection down here so i am very much in the uh in the market for feedback on your era because i suspect my airport extreme may well um bite the bullet eventually mm -hmm. um and also there is talk of us um adding another tv to our setup upstairs uh, which will mean i i will need reliable wi-fi around the house so mm -hmm. Uh, there we go. And I suppose the winner will be if I can get rid of the big spider space stations, um, then I think Mrs. L will be very pleased with me. <laughs> She'll probably prefer the Apple look, if not the Apple price. Yeah, that's one of the worst things that Apple did was getting out of those. But, uh, you know, Apple, pluses and minuses. Mm -hmm. What is your tool of the week? Yeah, I've, 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 gone, I've gone strictly analog. It's the Lockbee Quattro. Uh, Lockbee uh, it's .com. Um, an American gent. Uh, he makes really nice canvas covers. And to talk about it, I have to pull it out because I'm that sort of guy. <laughs> so I've got one in in uh, sort of canvasy brown. I'm just going to, here we go. Here's some sound effects. Unzipping it. Uh, it's, it's just a little fold open. You've got uh, two pen slots each side will fit a sort of full-size fountain pen or even a little mini. Uh, carries four fountain pens. And because my kitchen is being remodeled, uh, kitchen is where I do my sort of creative work in the morning. So I get up really early and I sit there with, you know, one of the bits of IT uh, and write. Uh, that's where I do my journals, where I do all of that. So this has been an invaluable part of my sort of travel kit, even though I'm only traveling in the house. With the kitchen being remodeled, I've had to sort of find myself working in all sorts of nooks and crannies. Um, but whenever I get there, I've got my journal, I've got my four pens. So delightful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely lovely thing. You should go and buy one. If you're in the US, go to uh, lockbee.com. It's a fabulous site. 
Uh, and obviously, if you're anywhere else, come and see us at Nero's. We've got them. Very nice looking pe- pen sleeves, sir. I guess. What, yeah, they are. Do you nice. call them pen sleeves? Pen pockets, I think, is what they call them. Is it? Yeah. This this is. Uh, they call it a pen case. Pen case. Well, okay. We call it a pen case. All right. I'm looking at the U.S. site, and it doesn't actually say. I I have a question though, because the one thing that's ever hold me held me off this. Two of the pens are upside down. Yep. How does that work for you? Uh, well, generally speaking, uh, all of the pens are on their side, I would argue, <laughs> depending on how you put the case inside, wherever you're carrying mm-hmm. it. So um, I've not had a problem with it. I know where you're coming from. If you have uh, certainly a, a vintage pen and you hold it upside down for long enough, you might have problems. But touch wood, all of mine are fine. Okay, so you're usually carrying it on its side. Yeah, it's usually in my, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, messenger bag, and it all it'll slots in on its side. Yeah, for for me, I have a Baron Fig uh, backpack that I use for dragging my laptop to work. And by the time I put a couple of notebooks in there, my pen roll tends to be vertical. Mm-hmm. And it gets slid in the side of that because that messenger bag is, or the backpack is, it's a thin style. It's not a yeah. big bulky thing. And so I've always looked at these and went, wow, they're actually really pretty. But that is the one thing that... I've always kind of worried about, wondered about, worried that it's going to make a mess inside the cap. And yes, I, I'm not very nice to my bag. It gets beaten up and thrown around quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, um, approach with caution carrying expensive founded pens anywhere <laughs> would be my advice. Oh, now you tell me this. <laughs> Sorry, bit late. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, not so good at that part. Interesting. Cool. Uh, what color do you have? Uh, I have the brown one. Um, I have the black tool roll, which is the sort of big version, um, and the small brown uh, quattro. And then I have the, they have journal covers as well, an A5 and, and an A6. I've got both of those, obviously. It's Beautiful. Perks of uh, owning a stationery store. Yeah, they look very nice. I got to say that. I've never never tried one, but uh, certainly I've I've looked at them several times. Let's talk about our analog tools because we talk, we talk a lot about technology because we do a lot of our work on there. You know, the reason for that is generally we're collaborating with people and as much as you want to writing down things, you're going to have to digitize it in some way. Uh, so let's, let's talk about, uh, analog. How, how did we get into analog, Stu? How did we get into analog? Well, I mean, I, I was thinking about this and I think we're both uh the changeover generation so when we were at school um it was blackboards um pencils paper do you remember ditto machines and the smell of those uh that that ink on the dittos yeah and um ohps overhead projectors you know that was all terribly exciting you just get one of those really sweet smelling uh ink pens and write a little slide and then project it onto the wall um and so we got used to all of that and then as we started working suddenly this whole digital thing turned up and there were uh, you know i remember working with lotus i'm sure you did as well Mm -hmm. um until microsoft came along with this little thing called excel that they thought would do okay um and certainly for me at least for a large part of my life then everything was digital i i i wrote a blog post today actually i had um a pda did you ever have one of those I uh, did. I had a palm, palm pilot. Yeah. 
I, I had the proper one. I had the Scion. That, it was one of those fantastic um, things where the, in both sides of the Atlantic were developing at the same time. And there was the, the American one and the British one. And then obviously eventually the American one crushed the British one. <laughs> Pure numbers. But uh, for a little while it was sort of, you know, uh, nip and tuck. But yes, to, to younger listeners, the, the PDA was the, um, it was like a little address book, note taker. Um, it had a screen and um, a stylus and you could do your to-do lists on it. Uh, and then some bright spark, um, I think actually it was IBM, um, said, I know, let's get one of these mobile telephone Fandango things and smash it really hard against a PDA and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And they came up with a thing called the Simon Mm. Uh, which I think about six people bought. But then a couple of months later, a little company called Nokia came up with the Nokia 9000 communicator. Oh, sounds serious. And that was like the original smartphone. Uh, you could also use it as a brick. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it weighed about three pounds. Um, but that was, uh, that was A, the death of the PDA, because everybody then started putting it on smartphones. And it was also when I think I first started going, oh, hang on, how did I used to do all of this? And that's when I got into day timers and diaries and pens. And so I think it's partly a generational thing for you and I, um, whereas lots of young people now are discovering analog tools purely as a, as a curiosity, I guess, as a, as, a, as a craft, as a hobby, you know, which I suppose is a good way to come to it. Anyway, what is your number one analog tool? <laughs> I I don't have uh, a number one. It's like picking your favorite child, which is almost impossible. <laughs> but I always figure the perfect thing, the analog tool will be the next best fountain pen that I buy. Because for some reason, Stu, I just can never be satisfied with the ones I have. Yeah, it's a it's a common problem. I can confirm I also suffer from it. I, I mean, I think, I suppose part of it is just really enjoying a new fountain pen for it being a new fountain pen and things were only ever new ones. Yeah. The exploration, the, uh, the testing of a new pen, I, I just get so much out of that experience and, you know, even the anticipation of what's the next one going to be though. I, I will be honest, uh, my buying days are a little less than they used to be. I'm a little more picky. I know what I like, and uh, that tends to increase the price on them as well. So I tend to be a little bit more selective, whereas, you know, maybe five, seven years ago, I picked up anything I could get my hands on that had a nib, no matter what the quality was. But uh, yeah, next fountain pen. How about you? What's your what's your one favorite analog tool? Well, again, I'm not going to say there's one favorite. I, th- I think in the, in the notes, I, I, I gave us five. Um, because that gave us a chance to go for sort of all the different fields. So paper-wise for me, I'm a big fan of the of the Hobonichi Deco, mm-hmm. which is Tamari River paper, or whatever is now going to replace Tamari River paper, who knows. Um, it's A6 in format, so very small. It's a whole page per day for a year, but in a tiny package. For those that don't know, Tamari River is really, really thin paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's paper that loves fountain pens. So, oh, it does. Um, I, with my uh, Logby, I have four pens with me. Um, they've always got different color inks in them. 
because I, I like playing with ink as well. Uh, and I will tend to write, when I get up in the morning, I will finish the day before and I will start the current day. So I sort of write one page, but half is on one page and half is on the other. Uh, and they will tend to be in different inks because it means I get to use two fountain pens. Um, and I think keeping that journal has gone a long way to keeping me sane over the last year. What about you? Where are you paper-wise? So paper-wise, I don't use one book. I'm very strange in the fact that I have a ton of books around that I use for different things. So that's, yeah, there's a big list. Yeah, and you can see it I've uh, in the show notes here. The main things I use, I use for my personal sort of advanced scheduling, a Hobonichi Teco Weeks, which is the slim version of the one you have. Mm -hmm. Also in Tomoe, wherever I have a very nice Galen leather cover for it. I keep trying it and then, you know, it's, it's a hard one to stick, but it is really a pretty looking planner. And again, like you said, uh, it takes a, a lot of ink and does some wonderful things with it. And then my... My thing that I use the most is actually my work planner because I do all my block timing in there mm -hmm. and it's not great with fountain pens. It's not bad with a fine nib, but uh, it's a file effects. And the main reason I do that is I'm lazy and don't want to have to put my times down every day in order for me to do my time block planning. Sure. I wanted something that had a, from seven o'clock till seven o'clock, um, schedule in there so I can then pencil in what my times are. And that, that's the main reason I use that. It's, uh, I've, I've got a lovely leather, leather cover for it. It's functional. It's a little big. It's got a couple of pen loops in it. It works very well. It's not particularly exciting though. And I can't say it would ever be, even though the one that I probably use the most, it's a practical tool and doesn't spark joy as they would say. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say, I mean, don't, 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 don't judge me harshly. I mean, the, the Obaninchi Teco is, is my first notebook of the day. I mean, if we, if we're going to start comparing multiple notebooks, then I'm, I'm just looking around me now. So for my jobby job, um, client that I'm sort of working full time ish for, um, for reasons I still can't quite remember, I decided that they were going to get Baron Fig confidants. So. Um, I'm now on my fourth, mm. and it's an erasable podcast 100-episode celebration that I'm just moving into. The yellow one. So bright yellow. Um, and as I say, they've all been barren figs um, mm -hmm. because I had quite a lot of barren figs because, I, you know, I've got the, the backpack that you carry. You know, I got, I got the nice blue one. I thought, well, I, I need a notebook to go with that. And obviously, well, while I'm here, I may as well get a squire and, uh, you know, the usual problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> a few of those. For um, my sort of daily driver for my creative work, so Nero's Notes and stuff, uh, I've just moved from a Blackwing to um, a Leuchtturm. So I've got, it's a Leuchtturm. I can't really see whether it's gold or copper from here. Uh, I think that's a copper. So one of their limited editions from oh, last year, Ooh, which I'm moving nice. into now. I, I always have an A5 on the go for, uh, for Nero's notes. Uh, in podcast book is the Sylvine, a uh, little Sylvine original bullet, which is a, a lovely book, a bit smaller than A5. 
what else have we got here? Oh, I've got a Blackwing limited edition, volume 18, um, sort of bright purple notebook. That's for the Focus Course Academy that I'm doing at the moment. Uh, I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just like I am then. Okay, that makes me feel a whole lot better. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I've got in my drawer, I've got um, a really nice Filofax uh, cover. Um, I've got a Smithson uh, organizer cover. And do you know the reason I don't use those more is because of Nero's. Um, <laughs> part of what I do at Nero's is to have a look at, you know, new things as they come out and write reviews of them and assess them. And so it, it's... Already, I always, I always look at myself and go, why am I using books that I don't sell? <laughs> <laughs> why on earth would I be using Baron Fick? And that, the reason is because I really like them. So uh, it's as simple as that. <laughs> but that's what stops me. I, for a long time, I was, I was into a file of facts or a daytime or you know, some such thing. Uh, and, and like you, used it sort of every day and then you know, put new inserts in as, a, as and when required. But owning a stationary store, I have to chop and change. That's, <laughs> that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Yes, just in case Mrs. L ever makes it this far into a podcast. Oh, good Lord, good, good heavens. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure she'll be down in a minute demanding the dogs because they're, they're in <laughs> with me, and they're probably going to get quite hungry soon. Right, so that's paper. I'm a little like you for notebooks uh, because I, I have a little bit of everything for different things. I, was, I want to sort of compare what we do that's similar and what we do that's a little different. Do you do any handwriting practice? Uh, I did for a little while, but I don't currently. Mm. My handwriting, uh, part of the digital generation, um, went from tiny and acceptable at school to absolutely herocious printing somewhere in my 30s. And I'm not sure where it went. And I went through this process of, you know, you want these nice pens, you actually want to try and have handwriting that's decent. Now, don't ever look at handwriting on Instagram because they're penmen, penmanship. I, I don't have anything like that. But I do, I, I do do joined up writing again, which is something I hadn't done for, uh, well, I won't even admit how long I hadn't done that for. And so one of the things I do every day is I take a Galen leather everyday notebook. It's an A5 Tomoe River. It, I love it because it, it lies completely flat. So there's, there's no curve whatsoever to deal with. And that's one of the reasons I love that one. Uh, and I write down, uh, I have a book from throw daily throw quotes mm-hmm. and I find them sort of meditative to write down and think about, but they're also really good. They're short little passages that I could just do five, 10 minutes of handwriting practice every day. So if anybody's listening and wants to improve their handwriting, it's made such a difference to my own, um, writing. It, it is so much better than it used to be even just a couple of years ago and constantly gets better. Never going to be Instagram worthy, but uh, Hey, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I have a Leuchtturm, much like you, I've always got a Leuchtturm on the go. I like having a work notebook that keeps everything together and organized, all of my notes, all of my working papers, everything like that. Now, it's funny because I actually carry that as well as the Filofax with me. Um, the Filofax has all of these wonderful spots in the back, but without, you, you can take the paper out, you can replace it. But then you have these loose pieces of paper. So I much prefer throwing an A5 in there. 
And I have, you know, you're talking about the Lockby stuff that you have, uh, the superior labor leather portfolio. Have you ever seen these? I don't think so. No. I know they're a Japanese maker and they are popular out here. They are gorgeous. They're beautiful, beautiful, soft leather. Uh, it's a, an A5 portfolio, so I can put a, a Leuchtturm, a, a, a Webby in there. I could put a field notes in the front. I could put a pen in there, uh, as well on the front, uh, but it absolutely is gorgeous. So, um, one depends in Canada does sell them. Um, there's a link in the show notes if you want to see those. And then, you know, this is funny cause I was thinking about it going field notes. I'm, I'm having a hard time with field notes and pocket notebooks in general with working from home and not going anywhere. Oh, for sure. Uh, me and you both. I always have a pocket notebook with me, but I tend to find that I'm either at my desk here or the few times that I go into the office, I'm at a desk there. And usually I go back to my five style stuff. That's a little better for me. Uh, I do have one, and this is a little bit of a, what do you call it? A humble, a humble brag. Uh, when I was in Seattle uh, a few years ago, I stopped by the Starbucks reserve grocery and picked up these wooden finished. They're a little bigger than the regular one. They're probably like, uh, what was that, um, arts and sciences version. That was a bigger one back in the day, Stu. Mm. 64 page notebook, but it's actually one of those that has the wood on the outside and it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it is a gold foil on it and that lives on my podcasting desk right in front of me here as my note taking for my podcast. It's just a gorgeous book. So, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily give field notes as much love as we used to, um, but uh, they are still excellent notebooks if you have yeah. use for them. And the new one is coming. Um, the 50th is, is imminent. I'd say a couple of weeks when it'll be here. Ah, I think that's been uh, talked about for the last, what, three months. Yeah. But they, a little, a little late. They've just got the, um, uh, note out to lapsed subscribers saying, Hey, you might want to come back <laughs> sort of thing, uh, which is, uh, usually an indicator that they're, they're getting close. So I think, I think they've got a timetable now. They haven't shared it with us at Nero's. They they will share with me before they release usually. Um, mm. I, but, um, under pain of death, should I reveal anything, uh, just to allow us to get, uh, an order in before they actually go out so that we can not be too far behind the curve over here in sunny Europe. <laughs> yes. I'd like black wings, but we will, we'll talk about black wings a little bit later. <laughs> well, there's a couple of episodes. What do you use for pens do? Oh, for pens. Oh, good Lord. Um, well, the first thing I was going to say to you was I, I echo your concerns around pocket notebooks with, without sort of getting out and about. I find I'm not going through anything like the amount I used to. I'm much more A5 focused. Um, pens, 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 pens. Well, what I've settled into without any real thought is just rotating pens through that Lockby. So I have four pens on the go at any one time, four fountain pens on the go. Uh, and when one empties, the rule is I can't refill it. I have to just clean it out and then select a new pen, ink it up and put it in. Oh, um, that's because, um, I think like you, I sort of went a little bit crazy when I first got back into pens, bought a load of them, some of which are then sat in drawers for, uh, for ages, um, which just seems silly. So what I do is I then take the pen out, uh, I use it for a fill and Mostly I go, oh, do you know what? This is quite a nice pen. Uh, sometimes I go, this is, this is a nice pen, but it's really not for me. Uh, 
And then I try and find it a new home, whether that be give it to someone or, um, you know, do a, do a swap with someone or I suppose even sell it, although I don't think I have. Um, just because I don't, I, I've reached that point where I think I don't want to have a load of pens in a drawer that I'm never going to pull out because I don't really like them very much because they don't, you know, fit my style or whatever. Mm-hmm. Having said that, it, it's very apparent that my style is quite open-ended because <laughs> whatever pen I take, I go, oh, actually, yeah, that's not too bad. Um, so I just rotate through them. I, I guess I'm a recent convert to Sailor. I didn't have Sailors before, um, and I'm very fond of it. I've, I've come on a sort of journey. So I started um, with Mont Blanc, which is a very privileged place to start. Um, so I've got several limited edition Mont Blanc which are, you know, those are big boy pens. They're, they're huge. Um, they've got big nibs on them. because I'm the opposite of you. I like a big broad or double broad nib. I like getting ink on the paper. Um, think of signing a big contract. This is the sort mm. of pen for that way. You know, it's actually funny. I keep a Mont Blanc inked up for my signature pen. There you go, you see. Um, with with the big, big wet nib. So I just think of you every time I use absolutely. it. Absolutely. So I started there, and then from there, where did I go? Um, I suppose when I started getting back into pens, I bought the Lamy 2000, because every time it was a classic. Um, I picked up some Pelican, because uh, they're, I, they're very similar to Mont Blanc, don't tell anybody, but with a much more reasonable price. But again... They, I started at the big end, so I had 800s, which are large fountain pens with big nibs generally. Uh, but I then sort of started discovering smaller nibs. Um, they do a limited edition 200 every year, which is a, mm-hmm. a pocket pen. Um, and they're lovely, come in gorgeous colors. I've got a few of those. Uh, and then from there, I'm sort of now drifting into the world of Japanese pens. Um, Sailor specifically, I've got a Sailor Pro Gear uh, Slim in white. Um, which has got some name that I can't can't remember, but it's Nashuri or Nashanori or something. Um, and I have a uh, nineteen. I'm going to get the year wrong unless I'm very careful. Nineteen twenty-seven. Nineteen eleven. Nineteen eleven. There we go. I always call it twenty-seven. A nineteen eleven in sort of bright yellow, mm. um, which is very cool. I quite like that. And I just the last pen I bought was. Uh, well, the last pen I bought is a mid-range Safari that's not Safari, a mid-range Lamy that is not with me yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last one I bought that I got uh, was a Estabrook. Oh, nice. One of the new ones. So uh, the distributor who has Coeco uh, in the UK also has Estabrook. So one of those accidentally fell in my basket. Um <laughs> And yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very acceptable pen. Very nice. It's, uh, they're certainly big pens. I was surprised when I, I picked one up that they're much bigger than the originals. Yeah. This is a smaller one of the range. Um, but it is, um, it's, it's nice. It's well-balanced. It's well-made. Uh, you know, I've got no complaints. It's not, um, lighting me up, but you know, it's a steel nib pen. It's not really supposed to, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very nice, uh, nice remake. It's, it's nice to see. Uh, what uh, they're doing with that brand. That brand had some issues uh, when it was bouncing around, uh, basically selling cheap Chinese pens for expensive American dollars for a while. Uh, and they've they've sort of really, re- uh, who was it? The distributor in the US 
that bought that and uh, has relaunched it. So good choice. I think it was Kenro, was it, that bought it? Yes, I was at Kenro. Yeah. 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 So um, what about you? Where, where are you sort of settling on the pen front? I rotate, but not as much as you do. I have sort of my favorites that get inked up regularly. At the moment, the top of my little stand that I have on my desk is a Nakaya Long Cigar in Aka Tamanori, which was a big birthday gift from my wife last year for a uh, notable year in lockdown. Um, you know, having having a big birthday in lockdown was kind of not something I would recommend to anybody, uh, but I believe you did that as well, Stu, last year. <laughs> I did indeed, yeah. <laughs> and, and nobody noticed. So my wife uh, was very kind and ordered uh, Nakaya from Japan. I tell you, that is quite the process. Uh, have you ever ordered directly from like a Nakaya or one of those boutiques in Japan? No, I haven't. No. Um, when, uh, before, you know, in the before times, um, Nero's used to attend pen shows in the UK. Hmm. And so, um, I would bump into, uh, the dealers there and they always had a wide range. So if I wanted anything Japanese, I would buy it from them. What I was surprised about is the nib tuning. Uh, because not only do you order the pen that you want, you have to enter a two page description of your writing style, which includes things that you don't think about, including what angle do you hold the pen? Which rotation do you have? What's your grip like? Uh, how much pressure do you use? What size do you prefer? I have this pen that is perfect in my hand. Now it's, it's a cigar shaped pen. So sometimes when you pick it up and you're not paying attention, you don't quite hold it perfectly mm -hmm. and rotating that pen just 10 degrees takes it from the sweet spot. The way that I hold a pen, you know, normally I pick it up and I'm holding it, paying attention, rotating it just a little bit. You can tell that it's not at the sweet spot. Absolutely amazing. I don't know how they do it, but they've got such talent over there and their customer service was so good. I've got nothing but good things to say about them. Excellent. The other selection of pens that I'm kind of rotating through, which is a sort of a recent uh, thing for me, is the Leonardo Memento Zeros. Uh, well, Leonardo pens in general, but I tend to like the Memento Zeros. Have you ever tried those two? Nope. Nope. Never tried them. I stayed away from them when they first came out. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Italian pens, mm. mostly because I feel their nibs tend to air towards someone that likes big, juicy, wet pens. And I prefer a fine, precise nib. They did used to have the, the Bach nibs and I've been really, really happy. Uh, my Vancouver pen club, we got a special order in of a special pen made limited edition just for the club. And that was my first Leonardo and I absolutely loved it. I loved the nib. It was weighted very nicely. So I have uh, three or four of them now that I rotate through really, really beautiful pens. My daily workhorse, the pen that I don't leave the house without is a pilot custom 823. Uh, I'm not sure if you've tried one of these yet. Yeah, no, I have one of those in the, in the rotation. Lovely pen. Yep. That replaced uh, originally that was my Lamy 2000. That was my daily my daily carry went with me no matter what. And unfortunately the pilot has kind of booted that out and it tends to be a, a an absolute wonderful workhorse. It's predictable. 
It's always filled with the same ink. It's uh, Mont Blanc blue black. Um, it just writes so nice. I can write all day with that on any paper. It works great. Uh, the other thing that I'm carrying quite a lot is a Salem 1911 large. And this is going to be something that'll make Stu scream a little bit. It's got a hard, extra fine Japanese nib. Ah, it's a fork. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, you know, if uh, when I get the needle for the vaccination, if they don't have a sharp one, I could just hand them the pen and say, shoot <laughs> it at me with this. Because it's uh, pretty pretty sharp. Uh, but absolutely gorgeous pen. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very Mont Blanc looking pen. It's black with gold trim work, the gold furniture on it, but absolutely gorgeous pen. I love that really, really precise hard nib on it. I carry them around. I know you mentioned your Lockbee. Uh, I have the superior leather, superior labor leather pen roll, which is very much like the A5 cover that I have. It's the same matching brown leather. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is, I can stick some pens in there, roll it up. The reason I actually had to buy that one is because the Nakaya didn't actually fit into my old pen roll, which was a pilot pensemble. Uh, the pensemble is a five pen, beautiful little wrap. Uh, all the pens face in the same direction, which is why I used it. Um, but it's got a little, um, it's leather with a very soft, uh, leather inside, wrap it up put it in your bag and it keeps your pens from any damage. I've never had a problem with it. Um, though I will say that, uh, Noodler's base date blue has left a couple of stains in it, but that's a whole different story that we'll, we'll go down to user error. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I, I have, uh, what else do I have? Do you carry anything that is not a fountain pen with you regularly? Uh, yes. On occasion. So if I'm hiking, um, I will take, Sometimes I'll take a pen, uh, sorry, a fountain pen, but other times I will take something a little bit more robust. So um, I have some of the Schoen design pens. Mm, very nice. Which I have, um, one of them I have is titanium. So uh, it's like a knuckle duster. <laughs> it's a really, really weighty pen. You could use it as a tent peg um, if you're not writing with it. Um and I've got a couple of others from Ian as well, which I really enjoy. I have the Fisher Space. We we sell that at Nero, so I've got a few of those uh, in different colors. I just, I don't like the refill. I suppose that's that's not why you carry a Fisher Space, to be honest, for the writing experience. It's the ability to be able to write in a rainstorm is, is pretty good. Um, and other than that, what else would I care? That would probably be it for, for non- fountain pens everyday carry in a pencil case i've got lots of Mitsubishi um, eyeliners in different colors mm -hmm. yeah if i go out of the house i always have a vintage rotring trio multi-pen which has d2 refills which are basically unavailable in north america mm -hmm. i actually have to bring those in from europe because i can't get refills otherwise uh, i looked for this pen online and couldn't actually find the version that I have, which is probably 25 years old, something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, but it is a solid pen. Uh, I like the fact that it has three different colors and a pencil in it. So it actually, it's maybe not the trio, uh, but it has four different refills in it that I could just pop in and out. Um, and it writes, well, a D2 refill is not bad at all. And I have to carry one pen to have all of that with me. 
that goes everywhere because occasionally I do still have to fill out triplicate forms. Remember those two? Oh, yes. Fondly. Uh, never good with a fountain pen, yes. <laughs> in my pocket. Now, I don't leave the house without carrying certain things in my pocket. And you know you're a stationary nerd when uh, I have a Fisher's Space pen in my pocket. Two reasons. One, the thing is indestructible. It's actually gone through the washer and the dryer and still come out without needing even a refill. Um, beautiful pen for that. One thing that I find is people will all ask, always ask me, uh, with a, greeted with a look of horror, can I borrow a pen? And so I have always had a Fisher Space pen that I could reach into my pocket and hand somebody should any that ever come up. I always want to have a stationary uh, a pencil with me. So I carry the Traveler's Company's Brass Bullet Pencil, mm -hmm. which is really, really beautiful. And it gets an absolutely gorgeous patina as it kicks around in your pocket. And of course, I have to have a fountain pen as well. And that is the Kaweco Aluminum Sport Stonewashed Fountain Pen. I've got a few different uh, Kaweco Aluminum Sports. I don't like the, the lightness of the resin versions, mm -hmm. but I do like the, 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 the fact that I can use it uh, as a roll of quarters to punch somebody if I ever needed to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Get the brass one. <laughs> the stonewashed lives in my pocket with my jeans and is very, very stonewashed, um, and scratched and absolutely beautiful that way. Uh, and it's, it's just a great pen to carry with you. It doesn't leak. It will put up with all kinds of abuse. And I was, I, you know, those three pens and pencils go with me in my pocket whenever I leave the house. And there you go. That's always prepared. Were you a boy scout? Yes. Uh, actually I'm channeling my, as you said earlier, my inner John Syracuse. <laughs> I think I said that off air for everybody who's now confused. Don't worry. You didn't listen. <laughs> Um, index cards, you're still using augment and you're developing your own system. Yeah, no, I, um, when I saw analog by augment, I, I thought, okay, yeah, that's, that's the sort of thing that appeals to me. And it harks back to, um, it was Merlin Mann, I think in 2004 wrote an article, um, called the, the hipster PDA, mm -hmm which was a sort of counterpoint to these PDAs that we were discussing earlier. And he essentially said, you get a few um, note cards and then you get a little binder clip and boom, there you go, you're away. Um, I really, really like the simplicity of that. So analog, um, if you haven't seen analog, go go look it up. There'll be a, a note in the show notes, I'm sure. But um, it's by Ugmunk. Um, and I suppose the feature of it is it, it has a lovely sort of box. But, you have a today card that is simply a list, really, of your your key tasks, and you stick it in front of your face. <laughs> That's pretty much what happens, uh, and it acts as a great prompt for me. It helps keep me focused, etc. But there are other things that I would like to do with a with a card system, and it was an interesting rabbit hole. So poor old Claire got tasked with finding me uh, the world's supply of index cards, uh, which I've now got together and I'm now playing with and mucking around with and seeing what other people are doing. And, uh, I'm going to, I think make a little, you know, a Nero's, a Nero's, uh, what do, what do they come up with? Tick cards. Right? You can, you can use them to get ticks out of your dog or you can use them to tick things off. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's the first I've heard about that. We don't, I guess, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the princess over here is carried everywhere. So, uh, there's no chance of her getting ticks. Ah, right. Well, my, my 
my Jack Russell particularly, he likes to get himself everything. Jack Russell's a part liquid. They can get into any space. It's bizarre. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on something there. And in the meantime, just really enjoying those cards and, and having that card in front of you is a great little productivity prompt, if, particularly if it's something that you don't always do because it's the same concept as you know, slapping a, a post-it note on the bottom of your monitor. It's great, but you need to, to keep changing it because otherwise it becomes part of the furniture. <laughs> I, I have adopted your system on this. I think at some point in the future, I want to do a, an episode where we look back and we say, what have we changed thanks to each other? Because I'm certainly getting some great ideas off you and doing things differently. I bought the Baron Figs index cards, uh, number well, last year, maybe a year before mm-hmm. uh, when they came out and tried them, didn't really find a use for them, but I have used them because of the way you use, uh, the Ugmunk system in the same way. I write out the end of the night, my to-do list on an end, on a Baron Fig index card. And that becomes, it, it sits on my desk in front of me all day long. I don't have the nice wooden base but it works very, very well. So thank you for that. I, you're very welcome. Um, you Drafts will be in touch with you soon to thank you for the, um, for the subscription from me. Um, it's, uh, I, I think it's interesting, these little systems. And as we've discussed many times, uh, sometimes it's, it's just a change, doing something different that can make a difference. Okay. <laughs> pencils. Let's go to pencils. <laughs> All right. Pencils. I have thoughts on pencils. Black wings. I use a variety of those. I love black wings, but I have a stock of them that I don't think I'll ever get through. I'm, I'm sort of having quarter release burnout. Uh, not even quarterly releases anymore. I like the quarterly releases, but there's a sense of me that likes to have the completionism, you know? Mm-hmm. And even yesterday, there were two new versions. They took a $6 dozen of pencil from three years ago, slapped a funny um, rectangular ferrule on it, and now we're releasing it for 30 bucks US, the uh, Palominos that they just released. Mm-hmm. The special editions that are so difficult and so expensive to get, you know, the TWA version, the museum version down in the States. They're, they're really hard to get to shipping to Canada. And I've just kind of given up on trying to collect everything, you know, the Pokemon card thing. I've just given up. Uh, but I still love to use those there. They're one of the pencils that got me back into a woodcase pencil rather than a mechanical. And so I'll, I'll always have that soft spot for them. And I still enjoy using them. Um, Tennessee reds, <laughs> Tennessee reds, Musgrave. Mm. Uh, I ordered these from Neros because Musgrave won't ship to Canada. So these pencils that are, I don't know, a thousand miles away from us ship 3000 miles from Tennessee to England and then ship 5,000 kilometers or miles back to me in Vancouver here, because that was the only way to get them. They're absolutely lovely though. Uh, but they are just absolutely crazy to go through that level of complexity to get simple pencils. Yeah. I mean, I think the, 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 the pencil world, um, which is, I think opening up all the time now, um, is characterized by 
some odd business decisions. So uh, Blackwing, I, I, I identify very strongly with what you're saying. Um, it would appear to me um, as a stationer that California Cedar is trying to be dominant in the higher, the top end of the market. So as you say, it's taking the, the Palomino pencil and trying to turn it into a premium pencil, both in terms of finish and, and price. And the value proposition there is pretty complicated, particularly for people who know their pencils. Um, so I'm not 100% certain that that would be something I would, I would see as a good move from them particularly. However, they're really smart people. They know what they're doing. So who knows? Um, Tennessee Reds coming out of Musgrave. Musgrave are showing really positive signs about engaging with a world. I think they were astonished to find that there were people that love pencils. I think they, <laughs> yes. I think they, they really felt that pencils, you know, were to be sold in big, huge volumes to schools and school authorities and um, you know maybe factories. Um, you know. Th- Uh, getting them to put pencils in boxes is a sort of ongoing process. It's like, no, seriously, people will pay for the packaging. It's, it's okay. Um, because I think the Tennessee red is the best pencil on the market. And that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, there, there were some quality control issues with it. Um, uh, which to me made it all the better because it was, it just made it feel really genuine and real. Um, because it was aged wood and it was wood that had been sort of hidden away in a factory. And, uh, you know, it's a lovely story behind it. And they're just beautiful to write with. And the smell, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it's astonishing. I, I have a, you know, one of the wooden boxes uh, of 24 pencils. And uh, every now and again, I just open the box and take a sniff. I mean, it's really, really weird, but uh, it's gorgeous. Um, it's actually funny because I have, I just have the red box uh, because that was all those in stock when I ordered them. Mm-hmm. And I have that box on my desk. No other box of pencils lives anywhere near that. They're all kind of tucked away uh, because, you know, I've got more pencils and cups than I will ever use in, in a year. But uh, yes, I have that box and occasionally I'll just open it and sniff it as well. They're, they're amazing pencils. Uh, and then there's there's a huge amount of confusion around, as you say, the business practices. Like, you know, if were I sitting at Musgrave, I would be saying, okay, guys, we need a retail operation and we need it now. And if um, some crazy guy in Vancouver wants a nice wooden box full of Tennessee Reds, we will say, yes, sir, no, sir, no problem, sir, and ship it to him immediately mm-hmm. because he'll, he'll, you know, he'll pay for it. He'll pay, he'll pay top dollar. Um, yeah. But they haven't quite got there yet. So you've no. got sort of Blackwing where I think there's, um, uh, you know, the marketing is strong. Um, I, I would be less complimentary perhaps about the product. It's still very good, don't get me wrong. But uh, I, like you, I, I think there's a bit of fatigue setting in, not not just with us, but with lots of people. Um, and then you've got um, Musgrave, whose product is fantastic, but the marketing is only just getting going. Uh, and then you've got some other sleeping giants in the States. You know, there's, there's people who make a lot of pencils in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got General and, and Badger and all that stuff um, mm-hmm. that I think you know, are sleeping giants. And that's before you start looking at the Japanese who produce some gorgeous, amazing pencils, Tombow pencils. <laughs> uh, 
pound for pound, the best wood-cased graphite pencil on the market, if it only didn't look quite so dull. Have you ever tried a golden sword? I haven't, no. I was reading that on the show note thinking, what's a golden sword? Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to hook you up with some of those. They are, uh, I've done a bunch of trades with uh, some people in the erasable group because these are a little un- unobtainable for a lot of people. Mm. There's a chain of almost, uh, I would call them Japanese dollar stores on the West Coast mm-hmm. that have the, an absolutely beautiful selection of stationery. And Golden Swords are one of their wood colored pencils. They're, they almost have a natural finish to them. They're not glossy. Um, they are absolutely stunning to write with. Uh, it's a chain called Daiso. Uh, so if you are near those, they're not particularly expensive. Um, they come in everything from a 4B up to, I think, an HB. But they're they're silky smooth, graphite, very much like black wings at a fraction of the price. Uh, and they're actually one of those things I use quite regularly because luckily I have a Daiso nearby but i just love the look and the feel they're really really nice pencils mm, I shall look if up. you haven't tried them Stu, i'll have to i'll have to hook you up yeah that sounds like a great idea um yeah i mean pencils i'm like you i've probably got more than i'll ever use i have um a field notes archive box uh full of uh various and seventy pencils, a lot of black wings limited editions of original you know the whole lot in there um, and I occasionally just lucky dip. <laughs> but, uh, so right now I'm writing with a uh, Palomino Blackwing 811. So that's the library pencil. It's very nice. Very nice green, green, gold. Lovely. Beautiful pencil. Um, but if I'm intentionally reaching for a pencil, it tends to be a Tennessee red. Hmm. I can see that. Alrighty. Well, we've, uh, with all this base camping, we've we've run long. But I suppose before we go, we should maybe... Maybe think of a takeaway. Have you got a takeaway for the listener? Yeah. My takeaway is practice your penmanship. It feels good. I've been out, you know, in the pre times when I was out and about, sometimes I'd be taking notes at a Starbucks or, you know, at at, uh, dinner, sitting down, having a bite to eat. And occasionally somebody would come up and comment on, oh, your handwriting looks so nice. And that just makes you feel good. Um, It's, it's a nice thing to do. It's a simple thing. Just practice a little bit. How about you, Stu? What's your takeaway? Um, fountain pens. They can be uh, an intimidating thing to get into. They, they look a bit scary. Uh, don't be scared. Grab yourself um, a Safari or uh, a Kaweco. It doesn't need to be an aluminium one. It could be one of the, the, the little sort of plastic ones that uh, we mentioned earlier. Uh, I don't know how much they cost in the States or in Canada, but they are probably about 20, 20 bucks, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Or even a Twisby Echo, which is a Taiwanese um, brand. They're really, really nice. All three of those, Safari, um, a Kueco Sport, or a Twisby Echo. Lovely starter pens, um, cheapest chips. You can put uh, an ink cartridge into them and just have a little go. Mm-hmm. Have a little play with them. And if you have questions um, about fountain pens, there are a myriad of places you can go and get support online. Um, you can set, you can drop drop me a line at Nero's. You can drop t- uh, Justin a line on his blog. Um, there are lots of bloggers out there, and we are all, whether we like it or not, fountain pen evangelists, and we will we will help it in any way that we can. Um, try it. 
just just have a little go. If you haven't picked up a pen in a long time, pick up a proper pen and have a little play with it. You might be amazed at the experience you have. I know I was. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, compared to what we grew up with, they tend not to leak as much. The nibs are better quality. They work right out of the box. For sure. Uh, Safari, Kaveco, Twisby, you're going to get a good a good result right out of the box. So definitely look for the, any one of those as a starter. Absolutely. Where can people find us on the internet, Stu? Uh, well, you can find me at stuartlennon.com or nerosnotes.co.uk. And you can also find Justin and I at stationaryadjacent.com. Where can people find you, Justin? You can find me at justintwyford.com. Right Experience is where I do write about stationary. Please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. And we really do appreciate your recommendations to friends and colleagues. This might be a good episode talking about analog to uh, put out to people that may be interested in it. We've got some, I think, good tips of where to start and... You know, maybe we might be a little intimidating, though, uh, how crazy you get with all the different notebooks. Our next topic is going to be talking about accountability and productivity. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.